you have never met us or been acquainted with the privilege of being here. And look around here today and seeing some good friends, Brother Wade from Tennessee. And he just mentioned a few moments ago, this is the first time we've ever, for us, ministering together in a meeting. This is the first time. And we've been friends for a, a long number of years. And uh, probably the better part of both of our ministries. And uh, I'm just real thrilled about being able to enjoy his ministry in the night services. And it's good to see all the folks from Georgia. Look around here and see all these Georgia people. Brother Hudson's church, probably one of the finest friends I've got any place in the country. And uh, how many of y'all come today to enjoy the Lord? Praise the Lord. I want to compliment your beautiful building. This is the first time we've ever been here in this new building. And it's been, oh my, it's been 12... 13, probably 13 years ago that we visited here when you was in the other church and uh, the grounds has changed so much and I was just admiring everything and uh, Sister Dunnigan, whatever you do take a look at Brother Spell's office that's just the way I want my office on. and uh, his office is as big as the whole upstairs of our Sunday school wing with my office included and uh, just all kinds of room to stretch out in and I thought as I looked around the years that I've known Brother Spell, uh, this is an expression of him. I can see it here. And uh, ever since I've met him, he's always been such an immaculate person. And everything he does, he does it so well and so perfect. And I looked around and I thought, now this is just the way I'd like to do everything. And Brother Spell's that kind of man. He gets the job done. He's a man that knows how to handle the job. And uh, he makes the rest of us folks feel like we don't get the job done sometimes. And we just uh, admire him and appreciate him. I've always esteemed him. I was very young in my ministry. I hadn't been preaching but just a few years when I met Brother Spell. At the time I met him, I felt like I knew him. I'd heard so much about him. And, uh, and I remember the first time I met him, he was coming out of his office tending some business. He was on the phone. And when he came out of his office, I... And you pardon me when I say this, but I felt like I'd met one of the world's dignitaries coming out of the office. I'd heard so much about him. And uh, he's a gallant man, and we appreciate him inviting us here. I feel very um, insufficient to minister in this pulpit, in this great church. And uh, I feel humbled and thankful that I was invited when Brother Spell uh, invited me. The fact is, I don't think I ever really got an invitation. He just mentioned it, and I jumped at it. <laughs> but uh, in uh, Florida last year at Brother Adams's meeting, uh, we got there late to teach only one Bible study of two Bible studies we intended to teach. And after the service, he and Sister Spell invited us to be out here this year. And uh, so right up to now, we just understood we was going to be here at this time and glad to be here. Good to see Brother Lee, Brother Hudson come in, Brother Brown come in, these fine ministers of God. Appreciate them so much. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do just to redeem the time. Uh, I've prayed. I've, I've asked God to give me something to teach. And uh, I served in the evangelistic capacity all of my ministry until the last three years and a few months. And uh, basically at heart I'm an evangelist. I like to preach, kick my leg, pull my tie loose, shout, jump pews, amen, have a hallelujah time. And, uh, but I like to teach, too. 
And uh, so usually what I do is I teach a preach or preach a teach, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, um, and I'm not a series. I don't uh, series teach. I don't try to find a thought and just carry it as a series. And I, don't, I hope I don't get all hung up in a series or something. But uh, I do have a little something the Lord laid on my heart a few weeks ago. And, uh, and I've just itched to preach it somewhere and uh, teach it, whatever. And uh, so I asked the church folks last night, I preached in my home church last night, so you know from Atlanta here, we beat the road getting here. And uh, I asked the folks in the home church last night, I said, now pray that I don't go out there and make a fool out of myself and just fall on my nose and not bless those people. Now you pray for me and uh, that, uh, that God will bless me, give me something to say, that I don't waste your time. So now if I, if I just totally goop, Blame the church back home. Don't blame me. They're supposed to be praying. It's their fault. And I've studied and I've read, and if they're not praying, it's their fault. So blame them. But uh, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Judges in the seventh chapter, the book of Judges. And uh, we will be using this chapter for a foundation, for a base, kind of a home plate, uh, these uh, four afternoons of Bible study. And uh, again, I say thank you for inviting us to be here. Sister Cond opened her home to us and uh, to let us stay in her home. It was so nice of her to open her beautiful home to us. And uh, I promise you, everything my girls tear up, we'll put it back together. <laughs> and uh, we're just so thankful. Everyone is so nice to us. and We appreciate it. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Judges, the seventh chapter. And uh, I'd like to begin reading from this seventh chapter in the first verse. I'm going to read eight verses. And uh, each afternoon I'd like to, again, use this as the basis uh, of a uh, Bible study. Amen. The seventh chapter. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon... And all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Mennonites were on the north side of them by the hill Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are turn of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remain ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall, shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth. Him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise to Gideon, by the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Mennonites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man into his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent and retained those 300 men and the host of Midian 
was beneath him in the valley. And could you say amen? You may be seated. I had, um, I had long in the last couple of weeks in mind, camp meetings are really hard on me in conferences. I never feel sufficient for a job like this anyway. And uh, it's always difficult for me, and just to be honest, a couple weeks or three weeks before a conference like this, I spend more time trying to get my mind ready for it than I almost do pastoring. And uh, when, I, uh, when I think of the awesome responsibility that a man as great as Brother B.A. Spell is, that he would invite me as a minister to his pulpit, knowing the quality of men and the caliber of men that normally grace this pulpit, it puts a real responsibility and burden on a man to preach. And uh, I was... Uh, I was praying in my office a few days ago, and and uh, I don't I don't have a lot of possessions in life, and I don't have. If someone robbed me out right now, it wouldn't they wouldn't be able to hardly have a good flea market with it. But I was thinking just the other day, Sister uh, or well, Sister Hudson is the beneficiary of it at times, but Brother Hudson and I. We have a little uh, a little hobby we hang with pretty close. He's been hanging a little closer than I have lately. But uh, we antique a little together from time to time, and we've got a specific little hobby of antiques that we that we uh, indulge in. It is indulgence. It's overindulgent most of the time. But uh, I was thinking, you know, if someone broke in my home. If someone uh, went in, they probably wouldn't think much of what I would collect anyway, but uh, it would be somewhat of a loss if I lost just a little bit that I had. And uh, then it dawned on me that, that uh, there was something in my mind that was troubling me, and that was loss. When I read the seventh chapter of the book of Judges, it's an old story. It's a story I've ministered from, taught from, preached from, who knows how many times. I begin to read about a man named Gideon, a man that uh, the Bible said as one man was going to deliver God's people from out of the hand of their oppressor, the Mennonites. And uh, he took 32,000 soldiers after much fleecing and prayer and building of self-confidence and riding the wave up and down in his own mind what to do and how to do it. He took these 32,000 men and began to look them over and uh, examine them. And uh, relating... To the fact that I had felt a little uneasy about my home and what few little possessions, you know, you're always worried about someone breaking in the church and stealing. You sometimes take inventory of what you've got, regardless of how much or how many it is. 
And uh, Gideon here is fixing to go to war. He's fixing to go to war. And in the recent administration of our government, under our Reagan administration, we have heard more about preparation for war than we've heard in, in probably a decade or more. There is much preparing in our world today to go to war, to go to battle. And uh, there have been great heads of state that have gathered together and put their foreheads and their pencils together. And they're trying to figure out, can we fight if we need to fight? Are we going to be able to? There's a lot of talk today in our world about going to war. I, I know that. And the devices and all of this to go to war with. So with all of this in my mind, I've come to a little thought, and I'd like to leave it entitled like this. Probably a title is all you're getting from their own titles of Fall by the Wayside. But I want to speak to you this week on reviewing your troops. Reviewing your troops. Amen. Amen. Nationally, Worldwise, wherever, every nation in the world right now is reviewing their position for as warfare. Not too many months ago, Israel came to the United States and took a tour of the Pentagon with their great leaders. And uh, on their tour through the Pentagon, just in a casual way of asking, one of the generals of the Israeli army asked an American general, he said, I wonder, just out of curiosity, how many two-ton bombs it would take to blow up a nuclear reactor. And just out of just response, the American general said, mm, I'd say 16. And uh, that's how many it took. And uh, so there was a review and there was an, an examining of how much it would take to do it. Praise the Lord. And I believe probably the reason that people are looking over their troops and examining their capabilities in our world today is we are heading for the ultimate. We are heading for a world war, whether we like it or not. We are heading for a time that men are going to pit steel and science and physical brute force against force. And they're going to try to settle this chaotic turmoil in our world. Who's the strongest and who's going to control it all? And I don't think that, that when things happen in our world that, that it is not a reflection of what happens in our church world. But I believe that when you review and when you look over what happens in the world materialistically and politically and warfare-wise, if you'll take a view at the spiritual action of the church, it's usually going on in a spiritual likeness within the church. I made this statement that when Watergate came around and, and finally uh, all of the infidels and and communists and wicked men uh, dethroned the president of the United States, whether it was bad or not, it was done in, 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 uh, in wrong motives and wrong uh, means. And I said that when they dethroned that president, you better watch it because that spirit will come up in the churches. 
And I've never seen an age any more personified in that spirit than what we live in right now. The attitude of overthrowing the ministry. Well, I wouldn't raise my hand against any preacher. I know it, but we'll raise our tongues and our spirits and our attitudes against what the preacher preaches today. Amen. And uh, when we look our world over, we, f we find that uh, when I was in high school a senior, and uh, this next month, July, uh, my, my senior class will be meeting in my hometown in Indiana to celebrate their 20th anniversary of graduation. I know I probably look older than that, but uh, it took me a long time to get through school, that's all. And, uh, and, so, uh, and, and so it is. Uh, when I look back uh, to 20 years ago and, and take a good world map and begin to spin that world globe around, there's a lot of countries that don't even exist that's on that map right now. That's right. Uh, there's a lot of governments, though they might be under the same name or not even the same kind of governments. Uh, territories have changed and stretched out and some have, have condensed down and, and all kinds of odd things are happening in our world. Uh, so uh, I feel a real obligation to, uh, in the next uh, few days, if the Lord will help me, to review our troops. Are we winning battles or are we losing? Are we gaining ground or are we losing ground? Are we taking territories or are we giving territories up? Are we building up armament or are we laying in waste in some desert, some place and letting the sun bleach it out and everything computerized going obsolete? Amen. Now this, this may, may have been from my church and I may have ought to stay home and preach to them four days. I don't know, but I feel this on my heart. Amen. Now, Gideon, we, we, we'll, we'll work on his case. We'll talk about his lack of faith and his fleecing God and, and, uh, and all of this sort of thing. But I believe that in this preacher, in this good man of God, I believe there was a conscientiousness uh, uh, toward the fact that I have got a battle to fight and I want to make sure if I fight it, I win it. Amen. Someone told me here a while back, it said it don't make any difference if you win it all. Just win enough of it to keep going. And there's something inside of this man that says, I'd like to win all of them. I don't like to lose any of it. Amen. We're in a wasteful nation. We waste, waste so much. I said we waste so much. We waste material. We waste food. We waste time. We waste lives. Amen. We can take 45,000 of the prime examples of human young men's strength. Take them to a foreign battlefield and stuff them in the graves. Amen. Of the swamps of a hellish uh, mosquito infested land and forget it. In just days that it even happened. It's a terrible waste. And uh, I want to talk about reviewing our troops and uh, looking over our, 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 our material strength, our military strength spiritually. And uh, so I chose Gideon. And uh, I think this is a good place to go from and to start from. And it says that this man, Jeroboam, and uh, he had the name Jeroboam because it means the discomfiter of Baal. Uh, he had overthrown Baal and turned over the, the worship of Baal. And uh, Gideon brought all of his people together and began to look them over. And, and uh, 
and began to examine his 32,000 soldiers and, and he was question marks rolling in his mind. Is there enough to win this battle? Is there enough to win this battle? And right in the middle of trying to decide if it was enough and if he had the forces to do so, God speaks to Gideon. He said, now wait a minute, Gideon. He said, lest the children of Israel vaunt themselves and begin to boast and brag and put glory upon themselves. Uh, he said, lest they do all of that. He said, let's examine this army and make sure. Let's review these troops and make sure it's just right. Amen. We, we don't want human glory involved in this. We don't want men going around saying, look what I've done. But God said, I want this church to glorify me. Praise the Lord. We got enough men going around pumping up their own heads and egos and, and putting on their own shows and programs and television uh, shows and all this business, uh, uh, commercializing the gospel and making a program out of it. God's looking for somebody that'll do a work for him and saying, God's done it. I didn't have nothing to do with it. It's for sure if it was work, God worked it. Amen. Now you you bear with me a little, and and uh, we'll we'll get through this subject. And uh, Gideon looked it over, and God said, "Now wait a minute. Hold everything. Stop everything." He said, "You got too many men." And uh, poor old Gideon probably slapped his forehead, and he said, "Now wait a minute, God. I was kind of looking him over to see if I had enough." God says, you got too much. you got too many. There's just too many folks around here to, for things to be comfortable. God's not going to get any glory. Pre-adventure, you go down there and do whip them. Then God's not going to get any glory out of it. So let's cut it down just a little bit. And so then, Gideon said, well, God, what do you want us to do? He said, I want you to go tell the fearful and the afraid to go home. Amen. You preachers, help me out, will you? Amen. I'm talking army this morning. I'm talking warfare this morning. I'm talking about going to battle or this afternoon. I'm, I'm talking about rolling up your sleeves and getting with it. And uh, God said, God said, I'm going to tell you right now, said, said, I don't want no cowards in this army. I don't want anybody in this army that's fearful and afraid. Amen. I don't want anybody in this army that when we do get out there, the fight's going to turn around and go back. So we just well weed them out right now. <laughs> Amen. We just well clean it out right now and get the cowards out of this army. We, we, may, we may start culling some things around here before it's over with. Amen. And, and I looked and it said that, that where Gideon had pitched his, uh, his tent and, and his men was beside the well of Herod. And, 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 and the word Herod itself, I, I looked it up and began to read it and said the word Herod meant to be fearful. That the, the word Herod meant to be of great, great quaking and, and turmoil. That the name Herod meant they were confused and upset and there was turmoil among them. It meant to be extremely afraid. 
Amen. They, they were pitched beside a well. They, were, they had stuck their little old tent stake down right beside a well. And that well earned the name of cowardship because that was the kind of army that Gideon was fixing to go to battle with. Fearful army. Afraid army. A cowardice army. God said, we, we're not going to be able to handle this. This... This is not going to work. We're not going to be able to have all this fearful business and this coward business. If we're going to have a real army, we can't have a, an army that's full of fear. All right, folks, are we winning battles or losing battles? Are we gaining territories or losing territories? Heard someone say just the other day, said, we sang that song, Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Just wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Uh, Till we can get, get our loved ones in. Just wait a bit a little longer. And someone got up and said, God, don't wait no longer. Said, we're losing them faster than we're winning them. Amen. I'm going to tell you, folks, uh, if we're losing them, we're losing. Amen. The dead would. Well, you got quiet on me right now. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it looks like we're losing the best and the cream of the crop. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. Uh, hey man, those who are going to stand in this last days and stand in the real army of God uh, are going to square their shoulders. Uh, yes, they are. Put some steel in their backbones uh, and say, regardless of what opposes my life, I'm not going to be afraid to stand for God. <laughs> Hallelujah. God said, you tell them cowards to go on home. Amen. You tell those fearful to go on home. Now, I, 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 noticed, I noticed the combining of these two words. Now, if I'd been writing this, I'd have said, Now, therefore, go and proclaim to the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is afraid, go home. I'd have said, Whosoever is fearful, go home. But God said, get in, you go tell them that whosoever is fearful and afraid, go home. He put the words together. Now this is, if this is old teaching to you, it's brand new to me. And when it's brand new to anybody, it's exciting. So you can just shout on mine if you want to. I examined that. I said, now wait a minute, God. Why did you tell the fearful and the afraid to go home? And in examining this real closely, I found that, that when you combine these two together, fearful and afraid, they both words mean the same. But when you combine the two words together, it means to give reverential to, to worship, to idolize. Amen. It means to give to it as if it were a God. And friend, let me tell you something. If Fear is not a God today, there'll never be a God. We live in a fearful age. We live in a time today when fear dominates the minds of preachers and saints and people the world over. What well, would make me look over the few sticks of furniture? Amen. A Sears and Roebuck bedroom suit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Furniture that don't amount to that much and a few little antiques are picked up here and there around the country. Hey man, it's a hobby and get to worrying about it. 
Did you know that the Boogular Alarm business is one of the fastest growing businesses in the nation today? I was reading an article the other day and said if you want to go in business, go in the Boogular Alarm business. Said it is growing at such a rate that it's a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar enterprise. People are afraid. Amen. They are afraid. Afraid someone's going to break in. Afraid somebody's going to steal. Most of y'all don't have enough for anybody to steal anyhow. But we live in such a fear today. We live in a worldwide fear today. And if I might just in my, in my first day of looking over the troops, let me, let me, uh, me kind of slip into a uniform, put on some stars on my shoulders, uh, and everybody stand at attention, and let's look over the, the troops today. Let's see if the armor, amen, is in good shape. Let's see if the buttons are polished. Let's see if the hat, amen, is two fingers above the brow. Let's look the troops over. Did you know if we're going to have an army that's going to win the battle of faith, we're going to have to have an army that's not afraid of anything. Yeah. right praise the Lord every now and then my good neighbor brother Hudson when I said this before he came in I'll say it now that he's here probably one of the best friends I got in the world and my good neighbor brother Hudson every now, now see he and I is different he just likes to aggravate people period so being mean is easy for him that's not easy for me and uh and uh, he just enjoys it. It's just, you know, part of picnicking through life for him. He just likes it. And uh, every now and then, and he's got a little nickname for me, and he don't call me Brother Dunnigan or Elder or Doc or, or, or Brother or anything like that. You know, he's just real irreverent. He'll call me up and he'll say, hey, Dunk, how you doing, you know? I don't let nobody else call me Dunk. It sounds like a donut to start with. But anyhow, uh, that's what he'll call and uh, and if he if he sees me ever now and then just getting a little bit you know just a little soft about something he'll say now dunk he says you're going to have to get off the fence and make up your mind to go one way or another with things praise god and did you know did you know a lot of times we'll say well it's compassion sometimes we're saying we're using good judgment Sometimes what motivates us, uh, amen, we think uh, is using good wisdom. And we're thinking it out. After all, let's take everything into consideration. But many a times it's the fear of losing a tie player. The fear of offending a friend. Uh, the fear of earning a bad reputation or a bad name. But friend, the Bible never did say you'd have a good reputation living for Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so many times fear motivates our lives to such a, uh, such a, such an aspect and such a, such a position of mental attitude that we can't live for God like God wants us to. Because of fear. Oh, we, 
We preached how, how they worship Molech. We preached how they, they worship Baal. And we, we'll get them bound down to Tamas. And we'll, we'll have them down in the groves and up on the hillsides worshiping the golden calves of Dan and Bethel. And, uh, and we, we'll, we'll get all them idolatry worshipers out there and we'll talk about them. And sometimes we'll bow our lives to the Spirit and the God of fear to the place that we can't even live for God. Unafraid. That's the kind of army God wants. Unafraid. But he said, Gideon, now I want you to see this. Two-thirds, better than two-thirds of the army walked off. <laughs> Amen. God, I'd hate to ask everybody here today that's a coward to go home. Some of you ladies would thank mouse and get up and scream. That's right. Some of y'all, some of y'all would thank mother-in-law and shake all of them. You know, anything scared out. A lot of things people are afraid of. It's widespread. It's among the common people, is it? It's among the poor and it's among the rich. The poor all the time scared about this thing and that thing. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough food to eat. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills. And then the rich, rich folks get a lot of money and they're scared somebody's going to steal the money. And wondering if the stock market's going to crash. Everybody worrying about something. You don't believe it, turn your hands up and look at your fingernails. Huh? Roll your tongue around on the inside of your mouth and feel all the skin shoot away. Amen. Pains in your stomach. Word. That's right. Amen. Someone, someone seen me uh, three or four years ago and then seen me about a year later and they said, My Lord, Brother Dunnigan, said you've lost a lot of hair and turned gray. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not from worrying. No, sorry. It's not from worrying. Uh-uh. Look, I got victory over two of my fingernails years ago. And I went back to sucking my thumb and everything. And they're about one year a pastor in a church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I was preaching one night and I told the folks, I said, you folks worry too much. I said, you worry about everything in the world. You're always worried. I said, that's a lack of faith. I said, you're worrying me to death with your problems of worrying. God's good for everybody. That's the thing we least fear. Did you know that? Of all the things that we fear in life, you're more afraid of a black snake. You're more, you're more afraid amen, of a silly old garden spider. You're more afraid of a lizard. You're more afraid to walk down a dark street than you are the living God. Most of us are. That's the reason we have to keep hitting the altar. That's the reason why every time the preacher preaches, he works on our cases. Because we don't fear God enough to live for Him. That's right. Amen. Do you know that fear is, fear is creative? Now, I'm just teaching a Bible study here. Fear is creative. It'll invent things. Did you know that? People are... Afraid of every unknown and known, and they, it's creative. 
I read some time back in, a, in an article somewhere, and uh, it was telling about out in Arizona, they had a, a, a real bad season for rattlesnakes, and, and, uh, and they was everywhere, and they was coming out, they was coming out of the woods and out everywhere, just coming into the town. And so they had to make special bulletin, and they was running it on the news and putting it in the paper at night. Whatever you do, don't leave the windows rolled down on your automobiles. And uh, snakes are, are getting inside of cars, and people are getting in their cars and, and uh, getting snake bit. And they had all kinds of uh, announcements out to warn people. The homes, keep your, your doors closed at night, and this sort of thing. Snakes are coming in homes. And uh, this article said a, a man got in his car and said he was started for work and he never paid any attention. Most people, you can warn them about danger. They don't listen. They, they've got their own little ideas. And he got in his car and he was going to work and he come up to a stoplight to stop and there was a traffic officer there directing the traffic. And uh, when he pulled up to stop, he's down on his brake. Something come out from under the seat and hit him on the shoes and... And he had remembered the announcements and all that, and he just went into pure morbid fear. And he leaned out the window, and he began to scream, and, and the policeman come over there, and he said, My Lord, man, what's the matter? He said, There's a rattlesnake. He said, I left my windows open on my car, and he said, Right down on my feet. He said, I'm scared to look. He said, There's a rattlesnake in the floor, and he said, I know it's fixing to bite me. He said, he said, if you just slip your gun out of the holster and kill it, he said, don't worry about the car. He said, kill the snake. And the policeman eased his gun out of the holster and leaned in the window, cocked his gun back and looked down. He said, man, don't move. Whatever you do, don't flinch one muscle. Don't move. He said, you're fixing to get bit by an 18-inch car tool. Hey, man, it's creative. Fear is creative. That's right. You'll invent things to be scared of. You, you, things will happen, and it's the unknown, and it's not, and automatically it begins to grip you. Let's look the troops over. Listen, two-thirds of the army of God was sent home because they were afraid. Is a subject like this, is a subject like this important enough to talk about? Is two-thirds of your congregation important enough to talk about? Is two-thirds of the kingdom of God important enough to talk about? I read an article some years ago in a business magazine. It said that, that, that 85% of all the sales in the world, all the sales in the world was transacted by 10% of all the salesmen in the world. Can you imagine that? Where are the other 90% of the people? Where are the other 90% that should be winning territories and pulling down standards? He men of enemies and erecting the standards. He men of their nation and their God. Where are they at? I'll tell you where they are. They're in foxholes. Trembling and quaking. They're hiding behind the tent of Saul. While an uncircumcised spirit. He men of uncleanliness of this world. He men of making its railing accusations and defying statements to the children in the church of God. We need some more glee, guts, and glue in this army. Something that will say, I'm not afraid. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to live for God. And I'm not going to let anything else get in my way. 
Pentecostals are so indoctrinated that we are the underdogs and the undercrust and the nobodies. Uh, amen. And those that are to be mocked at and scorned at and we dress funny, we look different, we talk different. Let me tell you something. The world passes through a Pentecostal fad uh, uh, every five or six years. Looks like this and goes on out the other side and nobody ever makes fun of them. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't believe this is a bad religion, a sad religion, a, a down and out religion. I believe this is the absolute best thing God I said this is the best thing God's got. There's a predominant doctrine in the community that I pastor in, the metro area that I pastor in. And I don't know who conjured it out of hell. I don't know who dreamed it up. I know the devil started, but I don't know who he gave it to to get it going. But they believe in our eyes that there is a resident spirit of the devil. And he's got a great big huge throne somewhere up around Peach Street Plaza, I guess. And he runs the whole city of Atlanta. I'm going to tell you right now, Maynard Jackson runs it. And he ain't a devil. Now, he may live like one, but he ain't a devil. That's right. And I'm going to say something else. The people in Iron. Now, this is absolute truth. The people that I tested until just a few months ago, amen, would tell you that there's a predominant spirit that controls the area, and we cannot overcome it. Now, the Bible said in Revelation that he was a serpent. He was the devil. Oh, Belzebub. Did it say it? I don't know why in the Bible the devil can have so many names and everybody believes there's one devil and God can have a half a dozen. They believe there's three or four or five gods. I don't know how come they get confused. Brother Jimmy Lee was preaching for us a revival some months back and while he was preaching one night he got the rumping and stomping and kicking the dust out of our carpet and, and, and just believing God. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God come on me and told me, said, there's no, there's no presiding authority of a devil that rules the church in this city. The church ain't never been run by the devil. But did you know, did you know, and, and Brother Hunter can tell you this, we fight such a, and pardon me, if y'all don't like this, fasten on your seatbelts and hang on and we'll chew it after a while. But we live in such a Baptist-oriented city and area and our country, amen, but if there's any devil there, it's a Baptist. Hallelujah. The old Brother Cook would sure enjoy this. All you got to do is say Baptist North Church and Brother Cook will take three pews out and carry them around the church for Hallelujah. He's got some bulldog in him. But that old spirit of lay of the sin, that old spirit, he ain't none of a bunch of folks running a pastor and running a church and telling one to come and one to go. I'm going to tell you what they told me right after I took my church. He remembered all I want is a maintenance man around there. That's the truth. Oh man, I was a maintenance man. I laughed. I told him, I said, well, I, I do a lot of work around here, but that's the first time I ever heard of a Pentecostal preacher being a Pentecostal maintenance man. Amen. <laughs> but the devils have got off their feet and done some work around there. I wouldn't have done too much maintenance. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen. That's a good preacher. Well, glory. I didn't come out here to get mad. I, I'm out here to be happy. I stopped and slept about five hours, four hours last night, so I'd come in here in a good humor and go through the and I already got another four, I guess. <laughs> Amen. We're looking to poop, folks. And one of the big problems in the, in the warfare of spiritual battling today is afraid people. 
powerful people. Amen. Afraid of everything that comes along. Afraid of this, afraid of that. Listen to what he said. Now therefore go and proclaim in the ears of those people saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, tell him. Let him return and depart. Amen. Early from Mount Gilead. Tell them to go on home. 22,000 of them got. Huh? It's contagious. That's the reason Gideon didn't need them. Ten men come running back from the hillsides of Canaan's land. Say there's giants up there. Big giants up there. Two men coming back and they have the goods. They brought back grapes, carry them on a pole. Figs and palm granite. Everybody tasting of the glory of God. There it is. Great, huge. Well, there's giants, but that means we got big cities and big beds and big wall cities to live in after we conquer them. And ten men swayed three million people to start murmuring and complaining against the pastor. Amen. Cowards. Fearful. Afraid. Afraid. It's contagious. I remember one time I was coming up this... I, Y'all excuse this, but this is just old-fashioned. When we grew up, we didn't have a bathroom in the house. We had a little bathroom outside, you know. It was a bathroom all by itself out in the backyard. And uh, our neighbors had one of them, had two of them holes in it, you know. It was a modern one. It was real nice. They even, they even had some wallpaper and a light bulb strung out to it. I mean, they was classy neighbors. And uh, so... Late in the night, one night, I got up and I went out there and, uh, and come back in and it was cold, you know, a little, little, little chilly that night. And, and uh, us boys, three boys, we slept up in the attic. We, we just had a little, little bitty house and dad fixed up in the loft of that. And he fixed us up a place to sleep in. And uh, when you went up the stairs, when you went into it, you had to duck down a little low. And it was just a little small opening, maybe not more than about four feet high, if it was that high. And you had to duck down when you went in it. And, and so I ducked down and come back up, coming up into that loft. And my older brother, Tommy, he stuck his hand out the window and left it out there and got his hand good and cold. And just as I come up the steps and stepped in and turned to go to my bed at the other end, he, his bed was across ways on this end, mine was this way, and Billy's was in the middle. And Tommy reached out, and it was just, just dark enough you couldn't see, and just light enough he could find me. And he took his hand and just run it up and down my bare leg. And I could picture these great, big, hideous-looking, greasy monsters. And it was an old plank floor and dad never did sand it down or finish it out or put any linoleum or nothing on it, you know. And I, and I wasn't praying either, but friend, I couldn't walk, so I hit my knees like a dog. And I had, I had bruises, I mean, all the way down my back, where going under the bed, I hit that steel rail, thong, 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 all the way down, under the bed, I mean, under the bed. scared me so bad I really I thought I was dying I, I didn't know what I thought and because because I was so scared and I made such a commotion now Tommy planned all this but it scared me so bad it scared him 
And he got scared and went the other way under the bed. Did you know, did you know that, that in this army of God, if you get, look, you can put a bad apple in a barrel and it'll ruin every apple in the barrel. You can put some old griping, complaining, fearful, unafraid, idolizing, and reverence everything that won't work in a church, and they'll eat a church up like cancer. Oh, they will too. You can get some old stinking boy that won't live for God. Hey, man, got a, a wildness of March hair. Hey, man, running through a church. And next thing you know, he'll have every pretty little missy in that church going the wrong way. You hear what I'm saying? And every now and then it comes a time to say to the fearful and to the unafraid, it's time for you to head on back home, boy. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. We live in a time today if a pastor said, come on, folks, let's go out in the street and sing and praise God. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Put a track on the door. No, 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 no. I'm afraid of what somebody will say. Why are you afraid of what they're going to say for? You ain't done nothing to nobody but live for Jesus. Fearful. I'm afraid. I'm scared. What was that little old story about Chicken Little? Cabbage leaf fell over on Henny Penny's tail. She run through the land telling everybody the heavens was falling. Sky is falling, skies are falling, skies are falling. Next thing you know, the fox picks it up. He said, I got a place. He said, for every chicken to hide, come on over here in my fox's den. Huh? Somebody can get looking around in the church and it looked like the church dropped off 10 members since last Sunday. Mm -hmm. I can see it right now. We're losing the church. Folks are leaving. Folks are leaving. Yeah, and then get that thing going through the church. And the old fox is over there saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. You old fox has always been chicken eaters anyhow. Come on, come on. That old Herod spirit, Jesus called him a fox. Did he do it? So you go tell the old fox. Well, he'll build a church across the street from you if he has to buy it from the airport. Glory to God. Somebody said, what you going to preach when you get out there? I said, I'm going to act like I'm preaching at home, and I'm sure that will help Baton Rouge. Glory, 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 glory. Amen. I'm going to tell you what the fox will leave his den and put him a den right close to the chicken shed. You know what I'm saying? Fear. Walk down through the mall and there's an old fox walking around there and his hair all swept back and he's a cool cat man. Got him some slick looking shoes on and got him a nice shiny suit. Well, hello, you know. Well, I pastor the church. And I'm just real glad you look like holiness, folks. And what church would you attend? Well, I attend so-and-so church. Well, God bless you. We're new in town. And I believe that someone attends our church that you know. And what you ought to say, you ought to say, yeah, you stinking fox. You stole them from our hen house. You ought to know it. Oh, hallelujah. That's right. But you know why you won't put him in his place? Fear. Fear. Don't be afraid of him. He's a snake in the grass. Don't. I hope so. Is anybody recording this? Well, I never will think of all these things at home. Record it so I can take it home and play it to him. Hallelujah. Amen. 
He's a fox. He's a snake. I know I don't have to holler that loud. You got a good PA system, but it sure makes me feel better to scream it when I say it. Oh, heaven. Contagious. Fear is. Fear, fear can spread. People can sow it. It'll grow faster than, than, than Johnson grass. It'll take everything. Fear will get in the hearts of people. Brother, and Brother Lee, you, pardon me if I reference you a time or two today. You're here, and when you're here, uh, I'm an inspirational preacher. I look at people and they inspire me. <coughs> and that helps me preach. Brother Lee was preaching for us <coughs> one of the revivals he preached for us. And uh, we had a young boy visiting from a serpent seed church in our, in our church. About all the serpent seed people I ever met, it's always got something funny about them anyhow. Hallelujah. Got a whole lot funny about them, really, just to be honest with you. But anyhow, this boy visited our church, and because we've got, like most Pentecostal churches, some pretty little girls in it. And that's all he was there for. And this young lady asked me, she said, I'm going to be bringing a young man to church with me. And, and, and the rules at our church is you don't bring a young man and sit with him in church. And uh, so she said, but do you mind if he just sits on the same pew where I sit? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you what. I said, when he comes, I said, he can sit down in the pew with you. And when service is over with, I want you to introduce him to the boys in the church and put him on a pew with the boys. Okay? She said, all right. Well, I didn't think to say anything about brother, to Brother Lee about it. and In fact, now I'm glad I didn't say anything. Service got to going along real good, and I looked over, and here she was. She's sitting about a space that you could put a, a good-sized uh, black diamond watermelon between them. And that's about all. And he was all reared back and his arm up over the back of the seat, you know, where he could reach out, you know, and flip her hair every now and then. And he was all reared back real cute. And, and I didn't notice it just till I turned the service to Brother Lee. And I thought, no, there's no use me messing around, just ruining everything. There's a good spirit here, and we had sinners there, and there's a good spirit. There ain't no use me messing up nothing. Now, I just well, because Brother Lee was fixing to, but I didn't. So I just give it to Brother Lee in a little bit. His arm will get tarred, and he'll put it back. And then when after church is over, I'll straighten that thing out. Well, Brother Lee got to preaching. And Brother Lee don't have a whole lot of resistance anyhow. And uh, he was preaching along. He was really doing good. He was classy, you know coat button whole business and he was doing it just real good you know he was giving it that old Billy Graham style you know and preaching all them good things and inspiring blessing the church and every now and then you know he would you know and all that and everybody was enjoying and he wasn't offending nobody and about that time what was that boy's name somebody give me that what was his name I, I, Sherman that's right I remember that he marched all the way to the sea uh, Sherman and, and, and here, here it was going and about that time Brother Lee stepped out just a little bit away from the Bible stand and looked at that boy and I thought God here it goes I can see it the detonator had already struck he said young man get your arm off the back of that pew I mean he said it just like that and I went oop you know swallowed a big gulp and and, and uh, whoo wow maybe he'll do it and, and it shocked the boy so bad he didn't even know what to do he just sat there and looked. His eyes got green big. Brother Lee said, young man, Sherman, get your arm off that girl right now. 
And he liked to took a stammering spell. Amen. And when he didn't move that time, Brother Lee come off the platform. He said, scoot over. Get over. Separate. Right. We don't allow that going on here. Friend, it killed the church. It killed. You look, it was deader than the morgue at three o'clock in the morning. And just as about as smelly. I mean, it was it was dead. They gave it up. They died. Everybody. They felt sorry for the girl. They felt sorry for the boy. And they hated James Lee. I mean, they had killed him in a drop of a hat. And all of a sudden, I looked. I said, God, what are we going to do now? God said, say amen to him. And I jumped up and I said, brother, that's exactly what we believe around here. And the church turned their eyes from him and looked at me and I said, come on, church. And about that time, the Spirit of God settled in that place. Amen. Conviction hit. And the Holy Ghost spoke and he said, and if thou art offended in me, thou art offended in my prophet and in my word, you shall be lost. But if you're offended not, you shall be saved. Friend, everybody in the church house hit the altar because they was all mad. And no one didn't want to be lost. Amen. But you know what? If we're not careful, we'll get bound up in a spirit of fear. Don't offend nobody. Don't hurt nobody. And I have found it out by experience. Uh, the night you get the meanest and the ugliest because God is in it the most uh, is the night the sinner, the new person on the pew will hit the all and repent. Well, I've got it all together. I, I've psyched them out. I've got way back in the Old Testament, got some scriptures they couldn't understand. And I preached to them and brought them right into the revelation of Jesus Christ and water baptism so smooth. And I already had me a, an organ song ready. He aimed him to win them to Jesus Christ and just give one of them flamboyant, drag them irresistibly into the altar sermonettes, you know. And everybody sit there and look at you. What's a dummy talking about? Huh? But come to the pulpit, open your Bible up. Hey man, look out there and there's new people that have never been before. You know, they're just sinner folks and God impress them, God them impressing and God's saying all the time, preach what I tell you. He went straighten that situation out. Clean up that fornicating mess. Uh, clean up that lying mess. Tell them boys to get a haircut. Uh, get up there and romp and stomp and kick and spit and pull your necktie and sweat. Uh, walk up and down the aisles, make a fool out of yourself, jump on pews. Uh, hey man, walk back to the pulpit so mean, so mad and everybody so confused. Uh, hey man, and say, bless God, everybody. Everybody stand up sinners running from the pews trying to get the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, when we quit being so afraid to tell it, God will turn around and bless us. I'm scared the preacher's going to insult them and, and hurt their feelings. You ought to be afraid that he doesn't preach the word to them. Amen. Fearful. Amen. It makes you wretched. Fear is insanity. Fear is crazy. Yes, it is. It'll make you do things you've never done before. I want you to see why Gideon didn't need this kind of soldiers. They're going to be rubbing against other men. 
I walked up to one of my new converts. They've been with us now about eight months. The other day. In fact, she was with this other young lady. And uh, their car had broke down. They'd call. They had the young'uns in the car. I got in my pickup truck, run over there and jumped the car off for them. This brand new convert come to the Lord so excited, so happy every night. She'd come to church and everybody else stand around praising God. Hallelujah, Jesus saves. Hallelujah. And when she, hallelujah, Jesus saves. You know, she was excited, one of them kind, you know. Everybody just spread apart and give her three places in a pew. She was excited about God. And I went over and jumped that car off and she was sitting in the car and she was mumbling and complaining. Car broke down. This is going wrong. Ain't hardly got money to buy milk with. And she was just a fussing. And I stopped and I pointed my finger right in her face and I said, Young lady, you listen to me. You're a brand new saint. You just got the Holy Ghost. You just got baptized in Jesus' name. Got every world, reason in the world to be happy. And I said, Quit acting like my old saints and act like you got some sense. And the other young girl was the old saint and she, she snapped her eyes and I said, and you know what I'm talking about. That's the reason Gideon didn't need him. Amen. That's the reason Gideon didn't need him because invariably. Somebody said, well, after you've had the Holy Ghost a while, it'll wear off. We're kind of like the, like the sister got up and testified and she said, oh, she said, I just got the Holy Ghost. So the power come down, the fire struck me in the top of my head and went right out of my feet. And the old preacher said, go back to the altar. He said, if it went out your feet, you didn't get it. He said, if it comes in, it'll stay, gal. Amen. You don't get lesser. You don't get smaller. Some old saint that's been in the church for years told you that. Well, I'd shout, but you know my back. I'd get in the service, but I'm going to tell you what, I got three youngins that won't live for God, and they keep me all pulled down. Moses told boys, said, if you marry a girl, and you got your mind on your wife, stay home a year. We don't need you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I ain't never seen a boy crazy about a girl that was fit shoot. Or vice versa. Are y'all quiet? I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> well, how are we ever going to get married if we don't court? Made them fall in love with them and get married. Get it over with. Stay home a year or something. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> but you know what? We get so rattled brain. We do, folks. And sometimes we, we, we stay in the church just long enough to let it fizzle out. Somebody just comes in the church. Can I mow the grass? Can I, can I, can I, can I this? What can I do? What can I do? What, 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 what? Lucky and Charlene just prayed through in our church. And, and they've got a long history of just one of the most horrible pasts that you can dream of. Even the place they met is a sad story. Their whole lives have been warped by the lowest form of life and the hardest forms of life. And their life shows it even. 
they come to church several Sundays. They would come, you know, back and forth. And a, few, a few Sunday mornings ago, it was water baptism from the time we sang the first song till the end of the service three hours later. That's all I could talk about was water baptism. And uh, so after church was over, I walked back by him, and he said to me, and he had him a nice little mustache. You know, the funniest looking thing is in the world anyway is a man with a flat top and a mustache. And he had a flat top and a mustache. And, uh, and I mean, she was decked out with all of it. She, she'd decorate up with all the rings and all that business and the face all fixed up, you know, with paint. And uh, I don't know as I ever even thought about winning to God. They'd come and go, you know, and, and you like to, you know, it's that type of thing. So after service is over, we call him Lucky. And Lucky, Lucky said to me, he says, you know, he's kind of a cute little fellow. He said, you know, got that little Hitler mustache there. You know, he said, the way you're preaching, my sprinkling ain't going to do. Sound like I want to get baptized. And his wife looked at me and she said, Lucky and I are talking to each other. The church is over and said, the way you're preaching is our baptism ain't no good and we need to get baptized right. I said, well, I said, God, talk to you. Evidently, you soaked that up. I said, what do you think? They said, how about tonight? I said, fine with me. In the prayer room that night, Sister Charlene got the Holy Ghost for church. That night, after service, baptized both of them, lucky, come out of the water, speaking in other tongues. They come back to serve. Now, look, the whole family, the whole family has been around church for years. They're not in the church, just been around the church for years. Here they come walking in. Rings are gone. Ear bobs gone, chains are gone, makeup's gone. She always wore hair stringing down, you know, just combed down this way here and kind of with a little something in her hair, fixed all up real nice and neat. There ain't nobody, I ain't even had a chance to preach to them. I don't get a bit of glory for this. Come walking in there, they look like they've been in church for years. He still has his little mustache. I mean, everything. He comes walking up to me at certain, he said, Well, what do you think? I said, well, what do you think? He said, feels funny. <laughs> I said, what you talking about? She said, his mustache, preacher, his mustache. I said, well, feels funny. What you going to do about it? He said, that's what I come to talk to you about. He's real cute. He'll get up and testify and he'll say, I thank God for my pastor. And I sure hope he gets saved. You know, he'll, he's real sweet. I'm glad somebody's praying for me. And I said, well, Brother Lucky, I said, if I was you, I'd shave it off. He said, I ain't got no teeth. And he said, everybody will see it. And I said, well, shave it off and let's see what you look like without teeth. Next night he come back all shaved off. He looks nice. No teeth. I mean, just flapping gums. He just looks good. And you know what? I've got them around that I have to call National Haircut Week every three weeks in my church. National Haircut Week, boys. Everybody get a haircut. Yeah, right. I'm, talk I'm talking about a spirit, folks. Now, how did, how did you get in that complacent? Some fearful, some afraid person rubbed shoulders with you. That's the reason every now and then the general needs to come by and review the troops again. 
That's the reason every now and then a pastor, amen, will just romp and stomp and kick the dust out of the carpet and call an evangelist in and it looks like he's meaner than seven devils. Reviewing the troops, reviewing the troops. Cowards go home! It's insanity. Fear will drive you crazy. That's right. I, I was reading one time in a, in, in a book and it was telling the story about a hobo that was on a freight train. And he had jumped a boxcar carrying a load of bananas. And got in and shut the door real quick. And when he did, he jammed the door. But he wasn't worried. He was going to ride a long ways. And he didn't care if somebody would open it up. And they laid down in a bunch of bananas and straw and laid all back. And it was just midnight dark in that place. And after that train got to clickety-clacking down the railroad track and begin to shake those bananas, tarantulas begin to crawl, crawl out of those bananas. And he was laying there and he was asleep and when he awoke, he felt those tarantulas crawling all over his body. I mean in his face, on his clothes, on his hands. And he got up and began to try to open that door and screaming and hollering and beating on the door and trying to get out and couldn't get out. And, and hours later at a junction they stopped and they heard someone beating on that, that boxcar door and opened it up. And when they opened it up that man had literally taken his fingernails and tore the hide away from his face. His hair had turned white. He was slobbered in the mouth, sitting on a pile of bananas, vibrating and shaking. He had gone totally insane. And didn't know it, but the tarantulas wouldn't even bite him. Fear. You'll look across the aisle and somebody's sitting over there and they've had a bad day today. Everything in the world's went wrong and here you come in, you walk down and you speak to them and they just kind of turn and look at you and hmm, they're mad at me. Fear. The feeling inside of you. Nobody likes me. Everybody's mad at me. Preacher likes everybody better than me. Can you imagine going to the battlefield with this kind of a crowd? You can't win no battles that way. You can't win no battles that way. Psychiatrists tell us that the most repeated habit in the world is lying. And psychiatrists say when they have studied it out that nearly 90% of all lies are told for one reason, fear. I'm afraid. What would, make a, what would make a saint lie? What would make a saint of God lie? Fear. And they'll do it. I'm afraid I'll get caught. I'm afraid of an embarrassing situation. Fear. I think it's important that you and I know that you and I know that in God perfect love casts out fear. I'd rather tell the truth and be embarrassed than tell a lie and go to hell. People, will lie, they'll lie about anything. 
and they'll lie about money before they lie about anything else. Unless it's a woman, she might lie about her weight. Tell a lie. Amen. The light of the RRS, the Infernal Revenue. Amen. Boy, oh boy, I done lost y'all now. And we got three days to go. <laughs> God said, go down there, get in and tell those cowards to go home. You don't need them contaminating everybody else. What's somebody going to say? You know why most people won't? And this is, this is as much, we have preached this for years in the young folks, the young folks, the young folks, the young folks. The young folks are afraid to live for God. The young folks are afraid. Did you know what? It ain't the young folks. It's the old folks feeding their brains. Young folks can be proud of holiness. Yeah, they can. They can be proud that they dress different and look different and walk different if we tell them that it's the attribute of God. Yeah, but pastor preaches we gotta, we gotta, we gotta. That's a cop out. That's not right. We preach and live holiness standards because it's godly. It's the attributes of God. It is, it is the expression of God in us. And for fear. I remember when I first got a job, first one out of high school, I got the Holy Ghost one week before I went into my senior year of school. I was 19 years old. I missed two years of school with rheumatic fever. First job I got when I was out of school, and I wanted to make a good, good showing. I was working on the milling machines in a machine shop, and I had a great big strong foreman named John. He was every bit of six foot two, probably weighed 290 pounds. Big, robust man of a man. He come to me one day, and he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, how come, he said, you don't go to the pub with us on the lunch? He said, how come you don't flirt with the girls in inspection? How come you don't ever laugh at the dirty jokes? How come you never join the party up around the drinking fountain on break? How come you read your Bible? He was asking all these questions. I said, well, John, I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. I said, now, I don't, whatever y'all want to do is fine. You know, no, no big problem. Y'all don't have to do anything special because of me. Just do what you want to do. Have your thing and, and just, I'll just be a Christian. What kind of church do you go to? I said, well, I, I belong to the apostolic faith church. You know, you can throw a great big something in there, they won't even know what it is, and you can get by with it. And he said, the apple what? I said, the apostolic faith church. He said, I don't know what that is. I said, well, we're Pentecostal. You know, I thought that'd kind of smooth that over and get it over. And he walked away with that. I thought, well, he knows what Pentecostal is. Several minutes passed by and he come over and he was standing there and he was looking at me, scratching the side of his face and he said, uh, I don't know what apostolic or whatever that is, is. He said, I don't know what Pentecost is, but he said, every time I look at you, he said, you remind me of those kind of people we used to go and peek in the window and laugh at them and we call them holy rollers. 
And my ears started tangling, got red, you know, and I thought, well, here goes a good job. First job out of school, my foreman don't like holy rollers. He said, would you by any chance be a holy roller? I said, John, that's exactly what I am. I'm a holy roller. He said, what am I supposed to do? He said, if you fall down, and it was an old greasy sawdust floor, you know, and had wood planks to stand on so you wouldn't get your shoes rotted off in the oil and grease. He said, what am I supposed to do if you fall down in the floor and start rolling in this stuff? I said, man, if I fall down on the floor and start rolling, I said, shut my machine off, pull the workbenches back, and let me have at it. <laughs> Amen. You know, sometimes we'd be better off just to level with folks and tell them we're apostolic, born again, baptized in Jesus' name, speaking other tongues, believe in holiness. Hallelujah. One God message we're not going to compromise and let the world know we're not afraid to stand for what God has called us to stand for and go to the battlefield of faith and win some victories. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! I said hallelujah! Glory to God! Glory to God! Amen, amen, amen! Fearful! Afraid! It'll make you do things that you won't normally do. You'll respond in fear like you won't respond in no other time. When the Titanic was sunk, that unsinkable maiden voyage, they said that when they finally got there with larger ships to gather up the people from lifeboats and floating debris, that most of the lifeboats were half or less than half full of people. And one story was told about an elderly lady, a very composed society lady, that went stark raving mad for fear the people would fill the boat and sink it, and stood with a boat oar and beat people on the hands and beat their hands off the side of the boat, screaming to them, don't get in, you'll sink the boat. And afterwards had a mental breakdown because she had made those people lose their lives. And they asked her, why did you do it? She said, I was afraid. I was afraid. You'll do things so totally out of character in fear. Amen. Even the king of the Philistines said, Turn David loose. He fiended himself mad. Turn him loose for fear that we'll take him with us and he'll turn against us and fight for his own. The king had recognized that there was, at least David was fiending and putting it on that he was afraid that he was mad. I've had people come to me and say, how come you won't give me a promotion in the church? Why can't I have an office in the church? And you're always real nice and polite to them. Well, you're just not ready yet or we don't have an office. You know what it is? They're cowards. Many a time that when the chips are down, they draw back. Hesitation is dangerous. Did you know that? Any time that you can take a minute and think over whether you want to accept or turn down what a preacher preaches, you are on dangerous ground. When the word is preached by anointed man of God, there ought to be an instantaneous response of acceptability. Even I'll stand with it. 
And if not, there is an instinctive fear in you. We're reviewing the troops today. Looking over this arm. Got any people that are afraid? Going home, he said. Going back. We can't use you right now. Going back. We need people that are courageous. I remember when I first started evangelizing and traveling for the Lord. I was raised in a church, very liberal standards. At that time, I thought we had one of them good holiness churches, but it was a very liberal church when I look back today. Now, you're going to laugh when I say this, but I didn't think this was all that too bad, but my pastor often would get their Bible study set in front of television set. But we was always taught and trained, control the knob. i never seen anybody can control it yet. About the only thing you can do with the knobs, get rid of the box that's attached to it. Amen? There was a whole lot of, there was a whole lot of standards that we weren't adhering to, that we hold very sacred today. My pastor married my wife and I, double ring ceremony. God called me to preach, and when I'd lay hands on someone to pray for him, I'd take my ring off and put it in my pocket and pray for him. Get done praying for him, put it back on. I like to wear the silly thing out, taking it on, putting it on every time I pray for somebody. Preach, put it in my pocket. Get done preaching, put it back on. Pray for somebody, take it off. It had become such a thing, I even got a little made up for it. So when I take it off, put it in a little box, put it in my pocket. I had, you know, I had a holder for it and everything. I'm telling you the truth. One time a, time a good preacher friend walked up to me and he said, How come you're taking it off? I said, It bothers me. Just bothers you when you preach? Yep. Bothers you when you pray for him? Yep. Anytime I do anything for God. He said, um, You going up in the rapture? I said, I'm planning on it. He said, You think you can get that ring off and get it in the box in 124th of a second? I said, I doubt it. He said, I'd quit wearing it. Huh? Sister Dunningham put and I put those rings on 18 years ago today. But thank God we got enough sense to put them off. Hallelujah. Someone asked me about it now. What do you preach now? I used to say, if God condemns your heart. You know what I say now? I'm here to condemn your heart. Amen. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think you better, you better stop and you may have something inside of you called fear. To put these two words together, fearful and afraid, means to, rever to revere it, to worship it. And many of the things that pulls you into your little claustrophobias, into your little closets of fear that the preacher's going to preach on it, that someone's going to say something about it. Amen. Many times those fears, those things that you hold are actually sins. You can't fight the battle of faith and win the battle of faith. Is that right, preachers? Amen. I read a little something I wanted to relate it to you. I thought this was so good. <laughs> Have you ever walked down this dark street? When I was a kid, where we lived, there was no street posts, no street lights. 
And I've walked on a bright moonlit night down those, those streets and those sidewalks, just down right down the middle of the street. Coming home from the skating rink or to the drive-in movie where we'd walk to it, just maybe a mile or so up the street. And I was just a kid, maybe 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, and come walking down through it and those trees. With a moonshine, can a tree look like a monster? Can it? I remember one time Sister Dunning and I was in New Orleans, 1964. We left New Orleans and hit the Nazi Trace Parkway and we was heading up the parkway and someone told us before we crossed the Ponce Train Bridge, said, now there's an insane asylum across the bridge. Said every now and then mental, you know, crazy people escape from there and they get out on the road and stop people and they'll kill them and take the car. And hey, we was, we was spooky anyhow. I mowed, I, mowed the, I mowed the grass at a graveyard for one, one summer, and, and uh, ain't no way, never again. Huh? You, can, you can run that mower over their grave and hear them grunt. I mean, you can't. With a little imagination, you can do it. And we, we was coming up that parkway, and we were just getting, it was late at night, and I was low on gas, and we didn't know where you could get gas, and it just so, so happened you couldn't get it on that parkway that late at night. And we just getting it down through, and we was driving along. My eyes was just like this, you know. I was looking for one of them crazy guys, and then we just get. And we was driving along, and about that time, I went, arr, arr. my wife said, "What's my?" I said, "Didn't you see him?" What? I said, "You didn't see him." No, I didn't see him. There's that light coming through those trees, and they just look like big men, just. And you think that's funny? It wasn't funny that night. And with sandwiches in the trunk and some cold drinks in the trunk of the car. And we was hungry. We hadn't eaten all afternoon and we was hungry. And, and, and there's a little rest park, a little, little pull-off place there. And my wife said, I sure would like to. I said, look, look, I'll pull off here. And, and I said, you keep the motor running. And I said, when I shut the door, you lock it. That way if they get me, they won't get you. But I said, if I come running, I said, unlock the door fast, okay? And I got out. And I, I like to tour the styrofoam top off that cooler getting into it. Looking every way. Looking, looking, grabbing. And when I got back in the car and sat down, I lined up. I said, And we peeled out of there. We got out of that place. And there probably wasn't a crazy man in a hundred miles. I was probably the only lunatic there was in the woods. Fear. Have you ever woke up in the night when you was a kid? Woke up in the night and you left your trousers hanging on a nail on the wall and you woke up and looked at the sun or the moon shining in just like, good gracious, what is it? Huh? I don't know what makes people when they get scared put the covers over their head. If something's going to get you, that gets you under the covers. We make fun of ostriches and make cartoon characters out of them. We just as bad. And I read this and I thought it was so, so cute. This little, little boy had seen something on the bedpost and got scared. Got up and found it. It was a shirt on the bedpost. And so they said he wrote this little poem. He said, Ah, well, one thing I have learned, nor shall soon forget. Whether whatever frightens me again... I'm going to get up and march right up to it.
And I read that little thing and I thought, huh. David looked up there and here was a, I'll say six cubits in a span. Somebody else will come along and say nine foot and six inches. So we'll just say both of them. Railing and hollering and fussing and screaming. And everybody says David walked out there and stomped around in the water and gathered up five smooth stones and girded up his loins and tightened up his sandals and loaded up a rock and headed up the hill. And he looked like a cool cat standing on a street corner. Hey man, Atlanta at 12 o'clock at night, whirling that little old rock. All right, I ain't afraid of you. You come to me with sword and stave and I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Cut his head off. Nah, that was it. Going down the hill dancing. I'm going to tell you how I think he done it. I think he messed around that water a little while looking for a rock. Hoping he wouldn't find it. Everybody makes everybody in the Bible super duper. And they get them so inhuman, brother, that we can't hardly believe God can do anything like that for us. I think he was scared. And to overcome it, he loaded that sling up and the Bible said he ran towards that. I'm going to get there before the fear gets me. I'm going to get it done, get it over with, before it overtakes me. Now wait a minute, folks, everybody else was scared. David wasn't anybody special. But David decided to tackle his fear and overcome it because he wanted to be in God's army. Hallelujah. Now look, troops. I said, look, troops. If we're going to be in the army, we're going to have to fight. If we're going to be in this army, we're going to have to do something. I